Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and this is episode 11. Before we start the episode, I want to ask a quick favor. If you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please go to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Music and rate and review us. It really helps get the word out and helps people find the Addicted Mind podcast and get this information to people who can really use it and benefit from it. So I really appreciate it, everybody's support. And I definitely love um, everybody who has reached out to me to say thank you and uh, for creating this podcast. That really means a lot to me. So if you like it, please rate and review it in iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. So I'm really excited to announce our next guest. His name is Eli Holmes. And Eli uh, reached out to me. He had heard me on a different podcast and reached out to me. I think I was talking about sex addiction and attachment. And he had some questions and some thoughts about it. So he had sent me an email. And we just started having this email exchange talking to each other about our philosophy of treatment and different options and and things like that. And he started talking about um, REBT or rational emotive behavior therapy. And I said, I asked him, I said, Eli, would you be willing to come on the podcast and talk about it? I think this information would be helpful to a lot of people. And um, it's wonderful news to say that he said yes. And so uh, without further ado, here is Eli Holmes. And I really hope you guys enjoy it. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited today. We have a great guest. His name is Eli Holmes, and he is going to be talking about REBT and that model of therapy and how it can be helpful to individuals 
I would say not just with addiction, but anybody struggling with emotions or thoughts or mood issues or anything like that. So Eli, you want to introduce yourself and kind of talk a little bit? Wonderful. Yeah. My name's Eli Holmes. I live currently in Portland, Oregon, where I see individuals and groups. I also teach as well psychology in general, more of the basic coursework at this time. And I was trained at the University of Minnesota briefly. Then I did my master's degree in counseling and guidance at New Mexico State University. And then I did doctoral work at Tennessee State University. Wow. So that's my academic background. In counseling, they really like you to move around the country so that you can see a variety of clients and such. And get all that different kind of experience. That's awesome. Exactly. So you're going to talk to today, and I want to tell a little bit, like, um, uh, I thought it was kind of cool how we met, is that um, you had heard me on another podcast, and uh, you reached out to me, and we just started having a conversation um, about treatment and, and, and different issues. And um, I just said, hey, would you want to come on and talk about this on the podcast? Because I thought it was such good information. And I, I love um, when people really look at, um, you know, evidence-based treatment and, and research-based treatment. And so I just want to let everybody know that's why I wanted to have you on as a guest, because I thought it would be really, really helpful to a lot of people. And particularly, you're going to talk about REBT. And can you, I, I think a lot of people who would be listening might not might have no idea uh, what what that is and what that stands for. So can you kind of give us a, a brief overview of? Yeah, it was invented by Albert Ellis back in the 50s. And it was, it's termed REBT, so Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy or Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. So the acronym is REBT. And the whole concept underlying it is that, and for people who are philosophically oriented listening to this, what may recognize it, but it's not events that cause us emotions. It's our thoughts about events that cause our emotions. Okay. So the model that's used is referred to the ABCs of REBT. So to simply lay it out there, A in the model is an activating event. So this can be anything from your spouse yelling at you, your kids getting a bad grade in school, you getting a flat tire on the road, any of these things. And usually what people do is they then have an emotional reaction to it, which is A, B, C. That's the C in the equation. So right. you go from A, something happens, then C is your emotional consequence. And people overlook belief, B, which is your belief system. And in this belief system, since it's called rational therapy, you can have irrational beliefs or you can also have ration, rational beliefs or irrational beliefs. Okay. So, so, so in other words, let's... Well, well before, uh, before we go into all that detail, can you tell me a little bit like some of the history of REBT and how it was developed and and how it kind of came to be. I know you, you mentioned it was in the 50s, but can you point a, uh, paint like a little bit of a bigger picture? Yeah, it was invented by Albert Ellis, so to speak, in which he was originally a psychoanalyst doing traditional Freudian style therapy. And he found that it was not necessarily doing the quote unquote in-depth analysis 
a la Freud. It was more of he realized that when he challenged people's beliefs about situations and their mistaken beliefs, irrational beliefs, when he would challenge those, then people would find emotional relief. And that's how he came up with the model A, B, B being your beliefs about a situation, whether they are irrational or rational. Right. So he was, um, he was working in that, was he working in like psychoanalytic, uh, kind of, you know, you said depth work then psychoanalytic and then he, so he kind of went against the grain at the time. It sounds like. Correct. He completely went against the grain. And also we can't leave out Beck. Beck okay. came up with also a different form of therapy, but I do understand that they were in communication back and forth and just had slightly different takes on different aspects of cognitive therapy. And then many people have heard of a thing called dialectical behavior therapy, which is an offshoot of cognitive therapy in general. And there are many offshoots nowadays. Right. So this, this was kind of at, at the time, a new way of, of looking at uh, our problems and, and looking at uh, our emotionality and, and kind of dealing with it. Very much so. So in other words, it moved from, oh, I had a bad relationship with my mother or father to how are you thinking in the here and now about the situation? So you can look back and say, about a situation. Oh, I was thinking this at that moment in time, and it wasn't helpful at that moment in time. And then you can see this connection between the B and the C. So right. your belief is what dictates the consequence. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right. Okay. So it sounds like it, th this is even for a lot of things, it became a more practical way of dealing with um, these issues. Yes, very much so. It becomes something to where, and we're going to get into specific examples about this, where people, all of a sudden you can have an emotional reaction to a situation and then you backtrack and say, I just felt a strong emotion walking down the street. Why was that? It could have been looking at a certain car that then reminded you of sad feelings about a past dating partner or situation right. or a car accident because it was the same type of car. And it's very much can be in the here and now. So you saw the car, reminded you of a car accident, sad feelings. That's what created the emotion. Because merely looking at the car yourself doesn't cause you to feel something. It's your right. belief about it. Right. So this could be really helpful. Uh, you know, like what I kind of said earlier, like practical. A person could use this this technique, if they learn this technique, they can kind of use this right away in their daily life. Exactly. So another example, the class, another classic example that they use all the time to start out therapists and training with this or your everyday person is you're walking down a busy street, you see a friend across the way and you wave at them and they don't wave back. And a lot of people think, oh, my friend was rejecting me. You know, right. they ignored me. 
And then the therapist would say, or you can say to yourself, because the whole goal of this is to get the client or patient to utilize this themselves, they say, I had a strong reaction to that. I felt rejected. I felt sad they didn't acknowledge me. And I would say to them, well, did you realize they may not have noticed you? So if that was your first belief, oh, they may not have noticed me. They could have had their headphones on that I couldn't see. They were paying attention or, you know, going over something in their mind like we all daydream. And then that's why they actually didn't see you. That's going to be a more helpful belief so you, that you do not have a strong emotional reaction to the situation that's negative. Okay. Right. And the important so, thing is to get people in this habit of looking at the world. And basically, it's not being always positive, but realizing, oh, this happened. It had nothing to do with me. Right. In right. the situation. Right. Right. So that they can exactly. kind of really be able to 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 see it and and change how they feel about that whole situation by just uh, changing the way they're thinking about it or or challenging their be- beliefs. So can you kind of go exactly. in a little bit a little bit more detail of the um, REBT model? Like maybe um, even exactly. if you could give us like a like you you started to give us an example of the friend walking down the street. Could you yeah. kind of walk us through that as as if if um, uh, you were talking with a client or, you know, someone you were helping with this? Absolutely. So you might say to me, I was walking down the street and my friend Bob, I waved to him, but Bob, you know, didn't wave back and that hurt my feelings. Because, And then I would say to you, well, why did it hurt your feelings? And to be completely honest with you, this is where REBT can be a little bit more complex for people is we have to uncover the irrational belief as a therapist. So I would ask the open-ended questions of, well, why did it make you feel sad or rejected or shameful or whatever other negative emotion? Right. And then you might say to me, oh, well, obviously he was ignoring me. And I'm thinking to myself as a therapist, now the D comes into the model. So A, B, C, D, the activating event, your friend Bob did not wave to you. Mm-hmm. See the emotional consequence. You felt bad. The D is for the patient eventually, but initially the therapist to say, really, was he really ignoring you? Was Bob actually ignoring you? Or was Bob busy thinking of other things? Didn't see you? It literally could be you were wearing a hat that day and he didn't notice that you wore a hat normally or something like that. Does that right. make sense? Right. Okay. And then that that can change that instead of I'm being ignored, you know, I'm being ignored or he doesn't like me, you're really shifting to yeah. maybe a more uh, a healthier belief that gives some room for them to uh, take better action, I guess, take a better choice, make a better choice. Yes. I'll, um, I'll give you a personal example, actually, that happened to me, another analogy here. Okay. A friend of mine, I was sitting outside a coffee shop and he came by, he had not told me that he had a new puppy very cute chihuahua and he walked by with the new puppy and knowing him and the type of guy he is I thought to myself oh I can reach out and pet his little dog because I normally always ask but I knew him personally and such so I reached out and my friend verbally you could argue snapped at me saying please leave us alone and he walked on 
And I felt in that moment genuinely rejected. Right. But then, of course, with my background training, I started to think about it. And I was thinking, this is unlike him. Why would he have done this? And then I realized as he went over and sat down by himself with his puppy dog, I thought to myself, oh, maybe he's training the dog or something like this. Right. Well, lo and behold, later on, I find out he vehemently apologizes to me and he said, oh, I was training him and I couldn't have anyone touch him, but I needed to be out in public with him. So it was a training exercise for his own puppy. Right. So therefore, I genuinely was not being rejected. He would have done that to anyone else trying right. to come up to him and his dog at the time. Right, so, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. And and it gives you that room to 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 kind of breathe before you react to that emotion and maybe make a decision you don't want to make based on information that's maybe not even necessarily accurate. So Exactly. So it's not even and that's what we're questioning with you it's again uh, in other forms of cognitive therapy referred to as jumping to a conclusion. Right. As a cognitive bias that we all have, you're jumping to the conclusion and assuming you know factors that you genuinely cannot know about in that situation proper. Right. So right. in the actual events, we will work backwards. So right. we'll, you know, the patient might come in and we'll ask them, well, how are you feeling today? Or can you tell me of some events that made you feel, depending on what they're dealing with walking into the office, if it's anger, I'll say, okay, right. in the past week, how many times were you angered? You know, can you describe these events? And, right. you know, a, a very good example is that's used in every book I've read on REBT therapy is she said this and it made me mad or she made right. me mad. We've all right. done this at some point in our lives with partners, friends, what, what have you, family members. Right. And them saying something didn't make you mad. So we start right. to dispute that, which is the D. So I'll dispute with the client and say, really, them saying that made you mad. And then right. again, it's this kind of backtracking to right. where we go from the C and figure out what the B was that actually caused the C, the emotional consequence. So a lot of times, if you keep with the open-ended questions, as we're all trained to do in therapy, open-ended questions is you'll eventually get a person to use kind of the big words such as, well, they shouldn't do that. And the moment a person says should or shouldn't, that's a big key for the therapist to take note of that. Oh, well, they should not have said that to me. So you're invoking a absolutistic style of thinking. And that's what we're against. Right. So, so in this, in this model, you're, as you're practicing with your, client in session you're working to really like what you just said change their way of thinking so that they start to incorporate this more automatically into their life would that be accurate exactly i ideally and this is where it becomes a behavioral process you know i when you see clients you're not expecting to see them for one session and everything changes the next day that's just right. not for the most part how human beings work Right. So what you're doing is you're trying to train them. That's why I don't know about your experience with your past training, but I remember cognitive, the different forms of cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. used to be anywhere from 15 to 25 sessions. Now right. I've seen current things that are suggesting 10 to 12 sessions. So right. 
in all forms of therapy, we're trying to, as you know, of course, we are trying to get the client to be able to help themselves so that we eventually, you know, it's somewhat like Goodwill hunting the movie to where all of a sudden one day Will is gone. Right. And the therapist is kind of left hanging. And many times they don't get a good buy letter like in Goodwill Hunting. It's just they all of a sudden don't show up and literally things are all good for them. Right. And they're doing a lot better. Exactly. But the whole point is to get people. And many REBT therapists will use very specifically a whiteboard, chalkboard, I don't know, computer Mm -hmm. tablet nowadays and write these out for the client patient so that they can see the process. You right. Know? Yeah. Definitely. And, and the and the difficulty really is uncovering what the person is implicitly, and this is a really important thing. They're implicitly saying, "My girlfriend or boyfriend should know this about me." You know, this age-old adage, especially in the dating world. Well, if they love me, they should know this about me. They must do this right. to be a good boyfriend or girlfriend, but. Well, they didn't know you preferred roses over tulips, right? Or tulips over roses. So if they didn't know this, how can you impose that should or must belief on them? Yeah. So again, we're trying to, and that's what you, that's the difficulty with the therapist is to get the person to realize their emotions are caused by their own thinking. And most of the time it's unrealistic. Again, once you read the therapy books on it, you know, it's, it's okay to be disappointed. We're going to be disappointed on a day-to-day basis. We might feel a little sad looking at a car and it reminds us of your first date or a car accident or what have you, you know, but so you might feel sad or disappointed, but there's a big difference between all of a sudden becoming rageful and running over and kicking the car or becoming so sad you move into more depression and all of a sudden you're crying and sitting on the sidewalk because of this emotional reaction so it really helps you become more functional um you 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 make better decisions you can slow that process down before you uh just react you can start to respond to those those processes i i have a question exactly um so since this is the addicted mind podcast and we kind of focus a little bit on addiction how how might um, REBT be used with clients who are who struggle with the addictive process in some way? Great. What happens a lot of times is you, of course, have to ask all of the open-ended questions of why did the person start to use drugs or drink, and many times it can be for fairly you know simple reasons. Oh my! Literally, my friends were doing it. It's how you go out and socially meet up with people, you're going out to a meeting after work with friends and everyone's getting a cocktail and it can start out fairly innocuous. Mm -hmm. Many times it then starts to, oh, I enjoy the high feeling, you know, it's, they will then want that feeling kind of all the time. And then they just, it starts to progress and then it becomes actually kind of how you stated, it can become also a coping mechanism. So imagine you going home from work and realize that you're going to have a uncomfortable conversation with your spouse or child. Well, to lessen the impact of it on you, you might end up getting drunk or doing whatever drug of choice you have to 
you know, take away that dis- anticipated discomfort, as Ellis coined the term, you know, discomfort anxiety right. or anxiety discomfort. So you're anticipating something to happen, or it can be the flip side. You're anticipating something not to happen. So it's Friday night. You, you know, it's a boring Friday. You don't have any friends to hang out with that night or your partner's busy. So you end up, you know, drinking or drugging, so to speak, and as a way of entertainment. So plugging the rational motive model in there, what we do is we say, A, the activating event, you're anticipating a difficult discussion, or you're anticipating boredom. And as the therapist, we say, okay, you know, you're being irrational in that you're expecting not to have. And sometimes these are negations. So you're thinking, I should not have to have uncomfortable conversations. I should not be bored at times in my life. The reality of life is everything isn't just happy, happy, joy, joy. And, you know, you're having fun all the time and difficult discussions will occur in our lives and we have to face those head on. So they can kind of use this as a model to help them, uh, I guess, kind of like regulate if they come home and that feeling is to like, I'm, I'm you know what, I'm just going to numb this away to kind of think exactly. of that process and, and be able to build some tolerance to it, I guess. Exactly. And Ellis talked about low frustration tolerance. Mm-hmm. Low frustration with anger is I'm going to have a difficult conversation with my spouse, partner, I will get angry at this. So numbing it with, so again, you're anticipating, and this is what we try and do with therapy is get the client patient to anticipate these types of Mm -hmm. things coming up in their life so that they already have a game plan walking into it. You know, I'm going to get into an argument with my spouse tonight and what are you going to do instead? Well, my belief is now, after going to the therapist, uncomfortable discussions happen. I need to start to tolerate that. Okay, so, so build, build in that emotional tolerance and start to um, learn how to do that. Can you then kind of help them create that tolerance or create skills to, to deal with that frustration tolerance? It, yes, and the big part about it is Again, a lot of times we work backwards with rational therapy is we go from the emotional consequence and then say, oh, what was that activating event that caused it? So that is exactly what we're training the person to do. And this is why the big term nowadays, and I am by no means an expert philosophically from a Buddhist perspective or otherwise knowledgeable on it at that level, but mindfulness, people being mindful on a on a moment to moment basis of how they're feeling. That's why this has really caught on is when you can label an emotion as to why you're irritated, sad, even happy, you know, right. Right. When you can do this, then you're able to figure out the events in your life that are making you feel happy or sad. So again, this can be a positive thing too. For example, here, let me give you a personal example. Again, uh, Portland, just recently went through some major record as far as days without rain. Mm -hmm. And then the days that actually did rain in the past few months before just a couple weeks ago, I was actually inside during those moments. So for months I didn't experience any rain and this area of the country is known for it. 
And I remember the day that it was overcast when I walked outside, I thought to myself, oh, rain is coming. And I was literally thinking about, you know, I just read a book with on Ellis and I thought to myself, well, you just looked at this negatively. And I right. immediately said to myself, we're going to go through months of overcast weather. How about instead of thinking this is bleak and depressing, right. I said to myself, why don't I take enjoyment in the different cloud formations and colors? Because I have a close friend and she's an artist and she looks at these things very carefully in detail that I don't. Right. And it literally, this is not a joke, brightened me, me up in the moment, in my mood. I thought, right. oh, yeah embrace it. Don't, you know, don't look at this as a negative. Yeah. That's such a great example of, um, how just by being able to take that moment, look at our thoughts, look at our belief systems to really change our whole perspective and actually end up enjoying that moment, you know, instead yeah. of finding it as, as, Oh, this is all gloomy and, and depressing. It's like, wow, look at all these, look at all these beautiful things that I have in front of me, the the colors, the clouds, the, and really shifting your mood right in that moment. I think that's a great example of it. And, and if she listens to the podcast, she'll remember this. It's fall now. And my very first girlfriend, I remembered also, I said to myself, you can look at this as gloomy, but this was also the first time you had a serious girlfriend in your life back in high school. You know, right. and then all of a sudden it flooded my, you know, mind with the memories of enjoying all of the, you know, leaves on the ground covered in rain. So yeah. I then added that to my memory bank, so to speak, or I shouldn't say my memory bank, but to be able to access that more readily in a cognitive right. fashion and, you know, remember the positive times of that right. period in my life. And so it's all a choice. It's all a choice. And that's the important thing. And dealing with resistant clients sometimes, or people who you're just having trouble with, one thing, and I'm sure you know this, there's a certain comfort level in your addictive process, so to speak. Yes, I You're think used so to true. this pattern. Mm -hmm. You're used to this pattern. And to step outside that pattern, even though objectively you can see that it'll ultimately be better, it's hard to change your normal routine. And if your normal routine is every Friday night to go out and you know, drink or drug with your friends, that's normal to you. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, that's definitely true. And I, I think, you know, doing this, this model, it's, 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 it's in a way it's easy to understand. So people can, can take it and, and use it. And, you know, a lot of people are struggling with addiction. They're struggling with mood disorders, anxiety, and they're using their behavior or substance as a way to cope. And this is a way that they can, in, in a pretty, it sounds like in a pretty quick way, you know, influence how they feel about it and, and maybe give them a little bit more resolve to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to, I'm yep. going to take a different, I'm going to make a different choice today. Um, using and, and for those, sorry to interrupt. No, to, but to use and, that, it's great. And, and for the listeners, what they can do immediately upon listening to the podcast is when they walk outside or go about, about their normal daily business, realize that when they're having an emotion, positive or negative, they can go through this model in their head and say, what caused me to feel that way? It, right. The initial, which is, oh, this event happened. This person cut me off in traffic. Right. And we've all been cut off in traffic. Well, 
you know you're going to be cut off in traffic again. So it's only rational for you to then say, I'm going to be cut off in traffic from time to time. That's how life works. Right. And you're less likely to get quote unquote road rage. Right. So, and you kind of know it already. So I have a question. I know we didn't talk about this, but would you be able to maybe uh, kind of provide a a worksheet that someone who's listening to this podcast could download and kind of look at like a, a, a brief um, overview or something that they could kind of use? I definitely can. Uh, For those who need, who would need an immediate worksheet, I can tell you this. If you put in R-E-B-T and then second word worksheet into Google and put images, you will find more than you can, any color, black and white, multiple versions of them that, you know, just, have different flavors as to how technical it gets with arrows and all of that. But I can definitely uh, give you a couple to put up that would be useful for people. Great. I'm going to put that in the um, episode show notes. I'll I'll make a link to it. And um, yeah, I think that that could be really helpful and people can download it there at at the addictedmind.com. Wonderful. Is there anything else before we wrap up, anything else that you'd like to add? The only other little detail I want to point out, because if people start looking at videos, I do want to point this out, is that they, especially referencing Ellis and his name will pop up, he had what is considered to be much more aggressive style of therapy to where it comes across as maybe I've even heard people say rude. And I want people to know that that is not, I don't want them to see these videos and think that that is how it's always done. Just like right. I gave examples in this discussion, I can sit here and say, Dwayne, why did you end up feeling that way? And right. ask in very nice ways with very open-ended questions, these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard that, that rumor before. So that's good that you say that, um, that this can be done in a very uh, compassionate, kind, um, caring uh, way that allows clients to kind of explore their belief system on their own. That's awesome. Exactly. Because as you know, one of the biggest things we fight against as a profession in general are all the myths surrounding our profession and right. having to deal with that. So I just want to throw that out there that you can go to a therapist who practices a very, very soft side of rational emotive therapy, who is not going to come across as attacking you as a person again. It's just, right. oh, in this situation, you thought this way, how could we reconceptualize the event, and then you're not going to feel negative emotions. Right. All right. So, how, um, if anybody wants any more information from you, how can they contact you? And my email address is psychologyportland at gmail.com. So, Great. just the word psychology, then portland at gmail.com. Great. So they can reach and out and answer any and all questions. Oh, great. That's awesome. Um, well, I just want to, I think it was a great discussion. I really, really enjoyed it. And hopefully maybe we can have some more in the future because I think there's a lot lot here, um, that we could go into even more detail about and that could be really, exactly. So I really appreciate you coming on as a guest and, and talking and, um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, If you would like information on this specific episode, just go to theaddictedmind.com forward slash 11, and all the show notes and downloads will be there. Uh, Feel free to check it out. 
Also, once again, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google. It really does help, and I really appreciate it. So thank you, everybody, and I will see you guys next week. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.